Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Curtain Call podcast with John J. Filippelli and myself, Chris Sheeran. Before we go any further, do yourselves a favor, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, you can download it and get it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, along with my boss, John J. Filippelli, of course. Uh, we're going to talk about the Yankees and Flip. You know, we always hear throughout the course of sports talk radio, you want to start looking at your baseball team around Memorial Day, around the quarter pole. And that's where we are now. We're around Memorial Day. That's just around the corner. The Yankees still with the best record in Major League Baseball. They are dealing with some uh, injuries right now. But starting a series with Tampa, a statement series down there, where the Yankees are right now at the quarter pole is definitely where you would want your Kentucky Derby horse to be at the quarter pole as well. No question. I mean, uh, do I think the Yankees have played well? Obviously, obviously they played extremely well. Did I think they would get off to the start they've gotten off to? I really didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, because I saw I had I had question marks. There were a lot of question marks around this team. But as I always said, if you could turn a couple of question marks into exclamation points, you'll have something. And, you know, it's in that, I believe the Yankees will, will be in October. I, obviously, I believe they would be October from the beginning of the season. I thought at the very least they were a wild card team. But I really didn't see them dominating the division the way they're dominating it. But it is early, but it is the first. This is the first benchmark. Is Memorial Day. It's when you really start to look at the standings, pay attention to the standings. For the, you should, for the first time, say, okay, there's been enough games. We get a feel for how teams are playing. You know how the rest of the season could possibly shape up. You base that a lot of it off your uh, the performance that you have for the beginning of the season up until now. So it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be a, a baseball fan in New York for sure. Because also the Mets have played very well as well. You got to tip your hat to the Metsies, the Metsies as well because they've played well too. But the reality is that this is a really good check. And what you see on the team is you see you see some surprises. First, at least that I think are surprises, and some performances that have been a little just a tad disappointing. But uh, you know, hopefully, we'll come around. But you see that the Yankees, for, for what they have, and again, there's some injuries right now. They're going to have to weather these injuries, and they have to play some of these better teams now. So there's quite a bit going on in Yankee Land. Uh, but I, I think the Yankees, for the most part. Have, uh, have done, not for the most part, for every part, have exceeded whatever expectations people may have had on them. The Yankees have exceeded them. And they're, they're, I think they're well positioned to, to you know, see themselves in a very good spot in October, obviously. Yeah, they'll be in a very good spot. They're in a very good spot right now. And they're positioning themselves uh, for that for the rest of the season. Just an unbelievable start for the Yankees. And now, they find themselves, as we just said, in a statement series down at the Trop with the Tampa Bay Rays in the midst of playing that four-game series. Yankees took the first game as we tape this here today on Friday. And, and Flip, the last two years, the Rays have just had the Yankees number, 19-10 and 10 against New York. They've won the last two American League East titles. Uh, and since 2010, these teams have the same amount of AL East pennants uh, on their you know, in their rafters, uh, both of them have three, but this is a situation where the Yankees, Yankee fans, I know would love this. They go down there to Tampa and they continue to push these guys back right now, as we tape this, they're five and a half back. And, and if the Yankees could win this series and really send a message that would set the tone in my eyes for the rest of the season. Well, if the, you know, it's a four game series. So if the Yankees could split the series, uh, which I, I believe that they should be able to do. 
that's that's actually very good because it's a place that the the, the, the trap has been a house of horrors for the Yankees. They haven't played well there, as, as we all know. And it's just it's just a huge home field advantage for for the race. And if the Yankees could play well in that ballpark against that team, then because again, they're right now the Jays have not have not gotten off to the start that everyone thought they were going to get, including myself. I thought the Jays would be much more formidable than they are right now. They're they're struggling. They haven't played well, uh, to say the least. They're, they've underachieved, I think. And you know, is Tampa underachieved? Tampa has achieved. Tampa is pretty good. They're close to the Yankees. But the rea- but the reality is, see, the situation with Tampa is. The team that used to win on with you know they, they rely on role players. Everybody's got a role. Everybody plays plays their role. They also rely on pitching and they rely on defense and, and timely hitting. The, the timely hitting they've gotten some of that they, and the pitching has been there. They just haven't played defense. As you saw last night, they were two. They, they made a couple of costly errors. Really hurt them. That's not the typical Tampa Bay team. Typical Tampa Bay does not play poor defense. They're playing poor defense this year. You know, and and that's really hurt. that's hurting them in a lot of ways because it betrays some very solid pitching when you get that. So, you know, they're they're not playing up to their capabilities. And the Yankees, as far as I'm concerned, have gone on. Obviously, I think they've exceeded whatever expectations we may have all had on the Yankees. I think the Yankees have obviously exceeded them. And I think that's because they've gotten help. As I always say, if you're going to do something significant in baseball, you got to get help from unexpected places. And the Yankees have gotten help from some, some unexpected places. And they've gotten, you know, listen, I thought going into the season, when Nestor Cortez has been just flat out great. 100%. You gave a Cy Young Award last night, who right now said, who's the Cy Young? I, it's, it's Nestor Cortez. It's this. It has to be. And if you look at how well he's pitched, you say, all right, he pitched well last year. Yes, he did. But you know what? There's a, how many players have you seen come into a league? Well, he's been around for a little bit, but but actually start to, to win in a league and say, okay, is this, are they winning because... Why are they winning? Well, the Nestor Cortez is winning because he's he's become a complete pitcher and he's developed a cutter that makes him really really dangerous. That cutter is really good. It's awesomely good, and I think that's the, there's such a word as awesomely. I don't know if there is, but I'm going to use. And it. you know, we saw him in the dugout. Our crew did a great job a couple games ago. He was standing next to Montgomery, and Montgomery and David Cohn was doing the voiceover of what they were discussing in the dugout. And it was probably Cortez showing Montgomery how he holds his cutter because Coney knows a thing or two about pitching and he's one of the best analysts, if not the best analyst in the game. And you just, you heard that conversation with Cone. You saw that conversation with Montgomery and Cortez and you just flip, you hit the nail on the head with Aaron Boone in our last uh, edition of curtain call. You brought up the cutter and Boone agreed with you too. It's just a devastating pitch for Cortez and not only Cy Young, you know, a couple, couple, maybe three, four starts ago, you would joke and say, this guy's going to start the all-star game. It's not a joke. Th- this guy could, if he keeps it up, he could. I, I know Justin Verlander's having just as good, if not better, of a year with Houston. However, Nestor Cortez, he's right, right now, he's the top pitcher on the Yankees. He is, flat out. Justin Verlander having a big year. Although it's coming off of, Tom, of Tommy John Verlander. So, you know, there was a little bit going in. You say, well, his age and, and you're coming off of Tommy John, it'd be interesting to see how he performs. But he obviously has showed why he's Justin Verlander, why Justin Verlander is Justin Verlander. But Nesta Cortez Nesta, is being Nesta Cortez. I don't know what that means. He's coming off of, you know, I mean, this is now what he's been with three organizations, you know, before. This is his third or fourth organization. So, you know, some people take time to find themselves. Some people take time to 
to develop into what they 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 has been there all along, but they need something that puts them over the top. The thing that put him over the top has been his cutter. As I mentioned before, that's what makes him weird because it's a devastating pitch. And the fact that he he has such command. If you watch him pitch, he's got great precision in, in how he pitches. He really does. That the, the velocity may not be may not be extent, but but the, but there is separation between the fastball and the change. There is there is command of his pitches on both sides of the plate. He knows how to pitch. He's learned how to be a complete how to be a pitcher, and and now he's got a weapon in that cutter. So he's got he's got the, the mechanical skill to 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 be a, to be a really strong pitcher, but he's got now he's got a weapon in that cutter that makes him that makes him really a terrific player. Pitcher. He's he's kind of a throwback flip, and that's why I love watching him so much. I'm not comparing him to Hall of Famer Greg Maddox, but if you go back to Maddox and you and you <laughs> you just marveled at his command and where he was able to just put pitches wherever he wanted to put them. That's why he was so successful. That's how he is in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying Esther Cortez is going to be a Hall of Famer, but in order to be successful, as you just said, without the command, without the velocity, I should say, you need pinpoint accuracy with your command. And for someone to put that type of work into and his movement. craft and movement. And, and, yeah, movement. And, and to watch how he does every start, every pitch, I'm locked in. Because it's such a pleasure to watch him because it is like watching a throwback pitcher. He's a surgeon. He's become a surgeon. Yeah. It's and the best word. At such strength, he's had such such a success in the last two seasons, this season and, and obviously last season. He's had such success. Now he's got the confidence to say, you know what? I, I, I Not only do I, am I good, but I, not do I belong in the big leagues. And how, how important is that? How important is that? Everything I said. I mean, psychologically. So, look, the game is not only is it, you have to have the skills to play the game, but you have to have the, the the you have to have the 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 mental acuity. You have to have the strength in in your in your mind that says I, I belong. I can be good. I'm going to get this guy out. I'm going to I'm going to do what I need to do to win the game. That comes off of success of prior successes. And now he's got accumulated enough prior success where he really believes in himself and he believes and he believes in his team, obviously, but he believes in himself. First and foremost, if you believe in yourself, there's no, no mountain you can't climb. And he obviously has that self-confidence that he may have lacked before. I don't know Nestor Cortez, uh, barely, I barely know him at all. But I will tell you this, watching him pitch, you're watching a very different player than you saw a couple of years ago with some other teams. Now, with Nestor Cortez, we are seeing a different player. With Aaron Judge, we're seeing shades of the player that we saw when he came up to the Yankees. Uh, he turned down that deal at the beginning of the season. He bet on himself, Flip. Uh, he, he was willing to do that because he wants to be the highest paid player in baseball. And he is just, whenever the Yankees, we were talking about this before we came on the air and you said it, whenever the Yankees need a big hit, Aaron judge comes through and gets that big hit. I mean, you talk about exclamation points. Yeah. Question marks to exclamation points. He is the exclamation. Point. What was the question mark? The question mark was, this is his walk year. Yeah. Mark was he bet on himself. Turned down a very, very nice, very strong offer from the Yankees. Uh, a very nice contract, long term. Turned it down. Said that uh, well, that's not what I want. I'm looking for more, and and uh, and I'm going to prove it. And he's to his credit, he's gone and proved it. I mean, he's going out. I mean, it's a long season yet. I've seen a lot of things happen at the quarter pole, which is where we are now in the standings in terms of games played. We're at the quarter pole, 
and uh, that look like the teams in first place, players having great years. And then by the end of the season, people get hurt, the teams falter, all kinds of things happen. This game of baseball that changed what was really a great outlook on Memorial Day becomes something less by the end of the season. I've seen that happen countless times, countless times. But the way he's playing right now, there's nobody better. I mean, he's as good a player as there is in the game right now. He just is, he just makes every big play he needs to make, he makes. Every time they need a hit, he gets it for them. Every time they need something, some some statement of inspiration, he's there to provide it. And that that's it. He's, he's a real leader on that team. So everything that he needs to be from the Yankees, he is. And the Yankees, I know, I'm sure, are taking note of it. And with Giancarlo Stanton out, his bat looms even larger. I mean, you know, Stanton has dealt with lower body injuries the past couple of years, especially his calf, his quad. And now it's his ankle. Thank goodness it was just his ankle. So maybe this is just going to be a quick IL stint. He'll be back. And as Aaron Boone said in his press conference, you know, thank goodness we caught it at this stage so he could get some rest and get back on the field as soon as possible, because let's face it. I mean, both of these guys so far are, we're putting up MVP type numbers. Judge still is, he's not hurt, but Stanton was doing the same thing. When you have both of those two in lockstep flip, that offense is something to, uh, to witness. That's what Brian Cashman envisioned when they got Stanton a couple of years ago was that he, to back judge up that the, the two of them would become a modern day murder murderers row, a two, two player murderers row, if you will. And, and that's really what they, what they envisioned. And it never really worked like that because of all the injuries that Stanton had to go through the first few years with the Yankees. He really struggled and to the point where a lot of people questioned the acquisition and maybe rightfully so, but, but the truth of the matter is that he has come on in a, had a great year last year, had a great playoff the year before the end of the season, great year last year, and obviously was having, was having a terrific year this year. So he's put all that to bed. I mean, this is not about when he's healthy, he's as good as a player as there is in the game, or one of the best in the game. And Stanton is showing that when he's healthy. So this, which he was not, the first, first say, two seasons with the Yankees struggled a little bit, quite a bit, actually. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Because you've seen a lot of the best players to ever play this game. Can you can anything compare to the way that the ball comes off either of these guys' bats? Not not to my recollection. I mean, I, when I was when I've studied the game through the years, it really was not. They didn't have you know exit below, and they didn't have those stats readily available. I knew guys who could hit a ball hard. There were players who could slam a ball, hit a ball really hard. But I don't. But it wasn't the emphasis that's put on the exit velo that there is now. But I will tell you, the two of them. I mean, nobody who I can't conceive of. I mean, especially Stanton. Stanton is the ball as hard as I've maybe ever seen anybody hit a ball. And and uh, and Judge is right behind. Judge, Judge, you hit a ball 550 feet. You're hitting the ball pretty. You're hitting the ball pretty hard. Well, I was I was lucky enough to be filling in for Meredith. Uh, the one game he hit the ball. And, and Michael's reaction was absolutely ridiculous because he was like any fan sitting on their couch, just in wonder, just being like blown away by where this ball landed. It actually almost hit the second section, like the top section of the left field bleachers. And I had my head down. I was taking notes and flip. I've been around the game my entire life. It just sounds different. When I when I was writing the note down and I heard it, I said, that's gone. And I picked my head up and I'm tracking the ball and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm looking at the ball. I'm listening to Michael. And, I, and just to know from the sound, it's like the best way I could describe it is like a firework going off. That's what it's like when Judge or Stanton hits the ball. 
I mean, it's uh, the, the, the only player that I could equate it to might be Reggie Jackson. Okay. You go back to the famous all-star game in 71. Right. Ellis, and you hear from that one microphone hanging over the announce booth, one microphone in, uh, in Tiger Stadium. And the crowd happened to be uh, sort of quiet at the time, so you could really hear it. But go back and go to YouTube or wherever. Go find a home run from the 71 All-Star game. Listen to the sound of that ball. That ball hit the bat. It's I've never heard a ball go off a make more noise off a bat than I did that heard that that on that home run. So go go back if you get a chance, uh, listeners. Go back, find that, give it a listen, and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. That's about as hard as I've ever seen a ball hit. Was that? And, and I think Stanton and, and, and Judge have the capability and the, and the talent to hit balls in, in that capacity, but do it with a more consistent manner than Reggie did. So that that would be my take. I mean, the, the fact that they've got that kind of strength, they've got that kind of, even when they miss hit balls, they go out. That tells you what yeah. kind of power they have. When they miss hit a ball, clearly they miss hit a ball. They don't hit it on the, on the sweet spot of the bat and it, or, you know, or they're on top of it and it still goes out. There, there's a perfect example. Of that. There's a perfect example of that in Chicago, I believe. Michael didn't know the ball was hit so hard by Stanton on a line that he couldn't call it until it hit the fan's hand in the stands. It was just on. It was a, we hear frozen rope all the time. <laughs> that was that was the uh, dictionary picture of a frozen rope. Balls were slammed. I mean, this isn't what you're, uh, you know, your uh, Chris Woodward kind of description. <laughs> like uh that's a little league home run i mean these guys don't have little league home runs these these are like yellowstone national park home yes runs. The, the yeah the bob euchre major league calls of right. home runs that's hey right. that wouldn't have been out of a lot of parks which one yellowstone exactly that, i mean these guys that, that kind of home run just just unbelievable serrano's gonna need a rocket up his rear end to catch that one this one's out of here it's just amazing to watch these two do their thing when they're both healthy. Hopefully we get Stanton back. Dennis Haysbirth, by the way. What's that? Dennis Haysbirth. Dennis Haysbirth. Oh, Dennis Haysbirth. Absolutely. Serrano. Yeah. From 24. 24 was a great show, by the way. It it, it had a lot of, there was was, uh, moments of violence, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, but I'm I'm glad you went there. I'm glad you went there. After I said that, because we lost a great actor this week in Ray Liotta. Yes, and that's he true. played Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams. And, and you know, I was extremely close to my dad. And, yes. and that movie, even when my dad was alive, yes. made me cry like a two-year-old. Because I don't know if you even know this, but my father uh, tried out for the Yankees in the late 60s. He played football at Lafayette. He broke his ankle before he went to the tryout, so he couldn't really run, but he did he hit a home run over the reserve scoreboard. They, and I didn't know this until his wake uh, when somebody told me the Yankees actually offered him a minor league contract, but he already had, he and my mom already had my older brother. And my dad was a guy about responsibility. And he said, I have a son. I have to stay home. I can't go down to Florida. So my dad actually turned down a minor league deal to be a father. So that just speaks volumes about the man he was. But when, when Leota passed, I just started rewatching that scene at the end when Kevin Costner looks at him and he goes, what are you smiling at you ghost? Because now he is. 
Yeah. Uh, and he said, if you build it, he will come. And he looked over and his father's taken off the catcher's gear. My dad was a catcher. It's just, it brought back so many emotions. And, and I know you have these same types of emotions tied to the game. And I just wanted to bring up Leota because he was such a tremendous actor as well. Yeah, he was. I mean, you go, uh, good fellows is one of the great, yeah. made, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and he, he was a big part of that movie. So, the, the a terrific actor, uh, you know. I, I, didn't, I never had the. I met. I met a lot of Hollywood people. I've never. I never had the, uh, the, the pleasure of meeting Ray Liotta. It never happened for me. But uh, I heard good things about him, and you know, he was a good guy. But he had a nice career, and uh, certainly his role in Field of Dreams uh, helps make that movie obviously as memorable as it turned out to be. And it, I, I mean, I think when he, when I think the story that I heard was when he, was offered the script or offered a part in it. You know, he. He looked and said, well, "How could this movie possibly work? I mean, I don't understand how, you know, uh, you know, you build it, they'll come about a bunch of ghosts on a baseball field is going to about you guys has a cornfield in Iowa, and all of a sudden he decides to be his father's talking to him in some dream or something. So here's a voice decides he's going to build a ballpark. I don't understand how that would be a movie, and if, it, with the explosion I just gave, it could never be a movie. But the reality is, but." It, Somebody thought it could be, and uh, so, uh, because it was uh, wrote a book about it, it was a successful book, and made it into a tremendous movie. So who knew? But you know, the, the movie was so well cast that we, that Kevin Costner was great, and James Earl Jones in anything is great. You know, so yeah. I mean, so they had a lot of interesting people, uh, you know, in it, and uh, Ed Harris was in it, among others. And so they had a lot of, uh, I think, was Ed Harris in that movie? I don't, I don't think Ed, Ed Harris was in that. Yeah, one, no. I'm thinking of Ant what's his name, Boosfield, Busfield. Um, oh, Timothy Busfield. Timothy, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm sorry, Timothy Busfield. He's a pretty good actor too. Thirty something, Revenge yeah. of the Nerds. That's what I mean. So, so they had a lot of interesting people in the, in the, in it, and well cast, and they did a nice job with it. Any which way, it's terrible. It's, it's too bad about his passing. It's too young. It's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, spin it back to the Yankees here, and you know, we're gonna see this team's metal tested. Especially, we haven't even touched on the bullpen's injuries yet. We talked about Stanton, but they've got Tampa. They've got the Angels. They've got, in the month of June, the Tigers, who've been a disappointment. The Twins, the Cubs, the Rays again. Another, another meeting with the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Astros, the A's, and then the Astros again. So we're, we're going to see what the Yankees are really made of uh, by the end of June and early July coming up to the all-star break flip. It, it's been a great start to the season, but they're going to be tested, especially with this bullpen depth being hit by been, the injury. For the most part, it's been a disappointment because the teams have been so many of the teams that you expect to be in this, you expected the White Sox to be more formidable. You expected Toronto to be more formidable. Yeah. You expected Boston to be more formidable. Oh yeah. Boston's they're starting to play better though. Yeah, they are. They're starting to find their sea legs now a little bit. But you know that you can't. And they dug themselves such a hole that you know it's it's not. And can be- I give you credit too? By the way, yeah. you said Trevor Story will start to hit. And Story's starting to hit. Oh, he's too good a talent. I mean, you know, I, I I'm a big believer in the back of the baseball cards. You know, when you've some, even if you start slowly, you know, if you have a track record of success, you, you know what you're doing. And sometimes it's just a matter of just finding yourself. And sometimes it's a little slower. The journey is a little slower than. Um, than you would like, but the reality is that uh, you know talent is talent, and, and the Terra Story is a talented player. So we're going to see what they're made of over the next month. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But the re- the relief core, you know, it's taken a hit. Now the Scranton shuttle, which has been 
gassed up, unfortunately, for the past three or four years, it's going to be gassed up yet again. And uh, even with gas prices the way they are, they're going to have to get here. Uh, there is no Yankee chopper that's going <laughs> to chopper them in here from Scranton Wilkesbury, uh, like there was in the movie with Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser that that took him uh, down from the rafters at the old Yankee Stadium to the pitcher's mound. The uh, what the hell was, was the name of that movie? Uh, Brendan Fraser was the great pitcher that Albert Brooks found in Mexico. I'm blanking. Uh, apocalypse Now. No, not Apocalypse Now. <laughs> anyway, I'm, uh, the I scout. No that's what it was. The scout. It was the scout. But there's no Yankee chopper that's going to be bringing them back and forth from Scranton. But they're going to have to, you know, start filling some holes here. And, you know, you got to give uh, a lot of credit to J.P. Sears. He's 26 years of age. He came up here. He, he gave Aaron Boone five scoreless innings and Ron Marinaccio backed him up. You know, you, you brought this up in our in a couple podcasts past about the depth the Yankees have, especially at pitching. And another name that we talked about on the BP show the other day, we, we had Dan Fiorito on, who was who is the manager at Somerset, the Yankees double A team. And he was telling us about Ken Waldachuk and how he was just too good for double A. So he's been promoted to triple A. That's and he's a lefty. That's another name you could be hearing about maybe by the end, before the end of the season hits, he could help out. And, and he's a starter, but Fiorito told us he could be a reliever as well. You could put him in any role and he'll succeed. So the depth is there, Flip, but it's going to be tested. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, listen, you talk about the injuries. I mean, Chapman's injury, you know, I mean, the, the but it gave an opportunity to somebody to step up. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Clay Holmes. He he hasn't just stepped up. He's been dominant. I mean, you, you look at it, I mean, to the point that he's been consistently terrific. I mean, he's, he's, he, he's, I mean, I, I would, I, he has got nerves of steel and I, I watch him pitch and I, I marvel at how good he really is and how quickly he's become what he's become. I mean, considering when the Yankees got him, it was, uh, you know, uh, Pittsburgh didn't see anything in him because obviously they, they, they decided to leave him part ways. So they couldn't, what did they see? And, and so the, there's an organization that didn't see anything in him and the Yankees saw something. And whether the, he got him here and they, they worked with him to sort of harness what his great talents were and, and to get him to channel what he needed to channel to the point where right now, I mean, he, he's, he's, the, he's the dominant reliever in the league. I mean, who's pitching better out of the pen than he is? No one. And you know what was – I go back to Nolan Ryan all the time. He was a guest on Mike and the Mad Dog a long time ago. And one of the things that he said has stuck with me over all these years. This had to be like 15 years ago. And he said, how in the hell are you going to teach? He said, I don't like young... – What's that? Oh, Francesca, I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> That makes, two, that makes two of us. Um, makes nine of us. <laughs> <laughs> we have a starting lineup. There you go. That's right. <laughs> we, <laughs> but Ryan said to them, how are you going to teach a young, a young pitcher especially how to pitch when he gets into a first and third or a base is loaded or a second and third situation in the fourth inning and you're pulling them out? You can't do that. 
you have to let him try to get out of those situations. And there was a situation with Holmes. I'm not saying he's a young guy. He is relatively young, uh, speaking uh, relatively, actually. But when he came into that Baltimore game and Rugnet Odor hit that Bermuda Triangle shot that gave the Orioles first and third with two outs, he's in a pickle. And here's what he does. We, we've talked about the cutter with Nestor Cortez. How about the power sinker? of Clay Holmes and the way he set up Jorge Mateo, who represented the game winning run first two pitches, power sinkers. Oh, and two throws him a slider just to throw him off. And then comes right back to that power sinker. He swings through it, strikes him out, gets out of it. I mean, that is just pitching one Oh one. And it was just so nice to see, but just to piggyback on what you were saying, Aaron Boone, we had him on. We talked about Holmes. He said he was a right-handed assassin. He's an equal opportunity assassin. He can get either side out. And I don't see with a 0.38 ERA, his ERA, he's almost wearing his ERA flip. <laughs> he wears 35, his ERA is 38. I mean, you can't expect him to, you know, to, to dominate the weight, but dominate I mean, to, to that level of dominance anyway. He could still be obviously extremely effective. I mean, to pitch the way he's pitched, expect that the rest of the way is, is you know, like saying, you know, Aaron Judge has got 77 home runs. You know, I mean, he might. I mean, he, I don't want to say he could, but it's unlikely. But the reality is that um, I don't know where the fall off is going to come because that pitch is so devastating. It's like, you know, Nestor, Nestor Cortez's success is that he knows how to pitch. He has several good pitches. But the thing that really put him over the top, as we talked about earlier, was the cutter. The thing that separates Holmes is the sinker. That is a yeah. devastating pitch. It isn't just a pitch. Wait, look, Mariano threw one pitch and is it all. <laughs> and, and remember with Holmes, Flip, he ha as you said, he, he has that power sinker. And, and it's amazing. And I just talked about how he sat down Jorge Mateo with it and he set him up with the slider, came right back with it and struck him out in that first and third situation. So, listen, a lot of pressure is going to be put on Clay Holmes now, that ERA. Point thirty eight. He wears thirty five on his back flip. So I mean, his ERA is almost the number that he wears on his back, which is amazing. But again, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. And we talked about the power sinker. There's another pitcher in Yankees history that he had a pretty good pitch too. He threw one. It was Mariano Rivera, and it was the cutter. And there's always a lot of pressure on him. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on number thirty five, Mister Clay Holmes. But I'm sure he'll relish in that with all the injuries in the bullpen. We'll see how the Yankees get through the month of June and early July. It's a very tough portion of the schedule, as we mentioned earlier in the show. I mean, if you look at this, the Yankees, they're going to have the Angels after they wrap up this four-game set with the Rays. Uh, then they welcome in the Tigers to Yankee Stadium, and they go on the road to Minnesota. They have the Cubs at home with the Rays again, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Astros, A's. And then Astros again. So this is just going to be a heck of a devilish schedule for the Yankees as we hit the month of June. So their metal will be tested just like Flip and I here on this podcast, the Curtain Call podcast. Don't forget, you want to rate, subscribe. It really helps us out. You can download it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Flip and I are going to have some great guests down the stretch, down the way, just as he and Kevin Sullivan did before me here on the pod. So we appreciate you. Trust us. We appreciate you listening. 
Uh, and we uh, hope that the Yankees can continue their ridiculous run to start the season. They are 21 and one when scoring five runs or more. And they are just three games off the 1998 Yankees ridiculous pace in 45 games. We'll see if they can continue that. For John J. Filippelli, I am Chris Sheeran, and that is a wrap on this edition of the Curtain Call Podcast.